people attach this idea of latchkey kids as being unparented. Yeah, I'm Gen X. Yeah, I don't need anybody. Yeah, I'm on my own. Yeah, I did it from a young age. I think it helped make us who we are for, for better or worse. Yeah, I forgot middle child, you know, F you, we don't need anybody. Although every time you say that latchkey life, I think I need to get that tattoo on my chest. I like it like a badge of honor. We may sound a little cynical. Gen X. (laughs) Hashtag Gen X. Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's unsupervised with Wit Honey to talk about the good, the bad, and the junk food of that latchkey kid life. But before we get into the home alone of it all, I'd like to tell you all about the witty and wonderful Wit Honey. Wit is the author of the Parents Phrase Book and producer at Limey Yank Productions. He was deemed the activist dad by Upworthy and one of the funniest dads on Twitter by Mashable. He's also a loving husband and father and all around likable fella. Welcome to the podcast, Wit. Thanks for having me. I don't know if I can live up to that hype. I think great show. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Listen, when I invited you on the pod, you did two things that made me adore you even more, if that's even possible. You told me you had been waiting for my invitation, which thank you for the lie. I appreciate that so, so much. The other thing you did was you suggested we cover the Latchkey Kid experience. And I was all about that because number one, I was a Latchkey Kid. And number two, I have a degree in child and adolescent studies. So any opportunity to like dive deep into the studies and effects of something like being a latchkey kid and what that meant in the 70s and 80s just spoke to my nerdy heart. And I was just so excited. So thank you for suggesting it. You're welcome. And that was not a lie. When I became aware of uh, the podcast, I kind of crossed my fingers that at some point our paths would cross. You're such a liar. Oh my and, and God. I'm not a liar. I, and I, I don't have anything to like plug. So I didn't reach out and, you know, I figured uh, I'll just wait until I actually do something. But then that wait got longer and longer. And obviously it, <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. It's probably not going to happen. So <laughs> thanks it for is going me. to happen. And that means you get to come back and be my guest again. Okay. So this is like the initial pity visit. And then I'll get uh, another one down the road. Yes. Hopefully. Yes. That's exactly what it is. Well, that's, that's my plan today is to just reference all kinds of uh, random 80s things so that later you feel obligated to have me come on and speak to those things or at least link to this episode. Yes. So, I think that's a good plan. Yeah. I think we should all about go with the it. SEO. <laughs> To the latchkey, uh, I'm glad you you thought that was a, a good topic and strong flex on your degree there, by the way. Yeah, thanks. I try. Work it in whenever possible. Yeah. I mean, I don't use it for anything, so I got I to gotta plug it when I can. You're using it now. I'm using it right now. Yes. That's, uh, I have a degree in uh, creative writing, and people always ask, oh, what do you do with a degree in creative writing? And my answer forever was 10 bar, because that's what I did for a really long time. <laughs> you have a degree in creative writing. And so what do you do with that? You're a creative goddamn person. That's what you are. Yeah, there you go. See, where were you 20 years ago when I I needed that life coach? (laughs) It's a glowing endorsement, honestly. Speaking of endorsements, I saw that you endorsed me on LinkedIn. I did. did. We are connecting everywhere right now. Everywhere. 
And right now our voices are connecting for this amazing podcast episode. So I'm really excited about it. So we're both Gen Xers. Mm -hmm. And as you know, Gen X is often labeled as the latchkey generation. But before we dive too deep into it, I think we should define the term in case there's anyone out there who doesn't know. So a latchkey kid is defined as a school-aged child of working or otherwise unavailable parents who routinely spends part of their day unsupervised at home. Now, were you a latchkey kid? I was a latchkey kid. Okay. And it's funny, um, in terms of the definition and the studies and everything, everything that goes into this whole understanding of what what being a latchkey kid is and the effects thereof. I only have a straight white man's version of knowledge, meaning none. Yeah. I mean, same, (laughs) same, right? Like I grew up in the suburbs, you know, and I had resources and I had, you know, people around in the neighborhood. I didn't live in a high crime area. Like there are a lot of things to consider when you talk about your personal latchkey experience. Exactly. Uh, I grew up in a very rural farming community smack dab in the desert of Arizona. So it's a lot different than other people's lived experience. I, I did want to put that out there up front yeah. because I, I understand that it wasn't the same for everyone and people right. certainly had difficulties and I assume lingering difficulties uh, because of it. And by no means when I start making fun of my own situation, do I want to imply that I'm saying the same about theirs. Right. Of course. I mean, it was important to me that we do take sort of a balanced approach to covering this because I think it's easy with the rise of helicopter parenting and 21st century eyes to look back on the latchkey kid phenomenon with judgment and or horror. And I don't want to do that if that's possible, because honestly, based on all the research I've done, I've learned that there are way too many distinguishing factors. Like we talked about, you know, we can't say definitively the latchkey life was either all good or all bad. It's truly a mixed bag. And when you talk about things like family dynamics and socioeconomics and crime and all of these things, you know, they all play into how that experience affected us both good and bad. So I think that that's smart to start up front and say that, but the experiences really do vary. And so I want to know your experiences. I'll share mine. I asked the Untitled Gen X listeners for you know their ideas. I found some stuff on Reddit, which is kind of fun. And um, yeah, I'm excited to dive deep into it. Is there a Latchkey uh, subreddit? I don't know that it's a specific subreddit. I found something in 2009. So that was a while ago that someone posted about their Latchkey experience in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so I I want to talk about that and how people responded to it and when they were sharing their experiences, because it's funny, it's, it's true. Everyone's situation is so different that I'd like to kind of touch on all of that because, you know, a lot of the research is like, uh, it's so bad. You know, your kids are going to be messed up forever. Here's all the cons and all the dangers. And then there are other studies that are like, okay, but it also, taught kids a lot of self-sufficiency, independence, you know, things like that. And so good, bad, I don't know, maybe a little bit of both. Right. And to that last point, a lot of the criticism of kids today is they lack some of those skills. Yep. And I think that's fair to an extent. I mean, that could be a whole other conversation. I am Mm -hmm. a big fan of 
kids today. I, I, they never cease to amaze me. And I think that we're just looking at it through our own lens, but they certainly have proven uh, that they rise to the occasion, mm-hmm. like one-on-one your kid in the living room. Sure. He can be an idiot, but as a whole, <laughs> they are so motivated and so aware. And so just at levels that I've yet to reach. And for them, it's native. I love that you're saying that wit because, you know, I don't encounter that a lot. Like I've kind of been preaching that for a long time in my writing and focus seems often to be on the deficiencies rather than the ways our kids are really like showing up and being heard and the amazing things that they're doing. I don't know why we're looking at the youth today with so much cynicism, but we do. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a Gen X perspective specifically, or if it's just always, you know, the generation ahead that's looking back going, eh, kids today, they don't know anything. I don't know. Maybe it's both. Yeah, I, I think it is both. But to your earlier point about the the pros of staying home, I liked it. If, if my dad were to come home, he, he came home before my mom did from work. Uh, my dad was a, a, a mail carrier. And so the time that he came home varied depending on the volume of the mail. And so he could be home as early as he might beat me home, uh, by an hour, or he may get home three hours after I do. And my goal was to not be there when he got home, because if I were, then I had chores to do. (laughs) He would put you to work. (laughs) Exactly. I was like in the house. Uh, I had my go-to like a a can of Vienna sausages and a can of chocolate pudding, uh, (laughs) Because A, pudding used to come in a can, and B, I like the uh, the balance of the two. They're the exact same size, I guess. That was just my little <laughs> snack that I had. The savory and the sweet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I was I was out the door. Uh, you could probably see I'm, v- I'm very scarred by my, my list of chores that I had during my childhood. <laughs> like, it, it was tough. I, I think part of it was because knowing that I was unsupervised, and my sister. My sister was also there, who's... That was what I was going to ask you. Were you home alone with a sibling? She's four years younger. And I can't remember at some point, I think that she had some after school care that I did not like they couldn't afford to put both of us in it. Right. Right. And since I was the older one, I came home. So how old were you with? I want to say like three. No, I'm okay. Sorry. I was like, what? I'm waiting, like, uh, before I cast judgment. I'm like, wait. Uh, I'm thinking, like, fourth and fifth grade. Okay, so So you're talking, like, nine, ten? Yeah, and then forever after that. Like, once once it was established that this was the way we were, it was always that way. Right. We did have a lot of family in the area. We did a lot of after-school stuff, like 4-H, at least once a week, we would go to the the Parks and Rec had an after school program. Yep, I remember hanging out in the library forever, and usually just playing a Lego. Like they had a big thing of, of Lego bricks because, and what else are you can do in a library? Look at books. Hell no. Who are you people? Uh, <laughs> Sickos. <laughs> so th- there were other things. I wasn't always just home, but but for the most part. I was home. And I I will say what's funny about this whole latchkey. First of all, I'm sure you saw this in your research that the term actually came about during World War II. It did. It began in the 1940s. Right. And it didn't really catch on until we started doing it in mass, you know, in the 70s and 80s. 
That's right. Because in the 1940s, kids as young as five were being left home alone because their fathers were off fighting in the war and their moms had to return to work either out of financial necessity or because of the labor shortage. And so these kids would wear their house keys around their neck with a string. And that's how they got in the house. I mean, as young as five wit to your point of being three years old, (laughs) these kids are, you know, going home alone. And then of course, you know, when the war ended and, you know, the traditional nuclear family was all back together and mom stayed home and took care of the kids that sort of went away until Mm -hmm. the seventies and eighties with the increase in divorce rates Mm-hmm. and more women returning to the workforce, either out of necessity or just flat out wanting to, because there was more career opportunity available, kids were left home alone, sort of in mass. And there weren't a lot of great after-school programs available at that time, which was why it was sort of a cultural phenomenon. Right. In 1982, an estimated two to three million six to 13 year olds lived that latchkey kid life. And in a 1987 article in the LA Times, a social policy research firm found that in households with two working parents, 42% of those kids were not only latchkey kids, but eight years old or younger. So it's not uncommon for this experience to sort of begin at eight, nine years old in the 70s and 80s. I don't remember any pushback. At the time, it was so commonplace and such a given that kids were going home and would be unattended for a number of hours. It was much more free range. I think really parents sort of stayed out of other parents' business back then in a way that, I mean, good or bad, we just don't really do anymore. And the judgment is certainly there now in a way that wasn't before, you know, obviously with like helicopter parenting and tiger moms and, you know, we we've seen Facebook and I guess the, all that. Yeah. Oh, you know, if you're not home with your kid and supervising them 24 hours a day, well, you're just flat out neglectful parent, like what a terrible mother you are, you know? And so it was not uncommon. I started staying home by myself. I think I was around 10 my mom was a piano teacher. So she taught kids after school. I mean, that's when you take your piano lessons and she would work till seven or eight at night. And, you know, I'd be home alone until my dad would come home from work, but my dad also traveled a lot. And then my parents separated and got a divorce and I lived with my mom. So there were many, many days of the week I was home alone you know, and, and I was an only child. So I have a stepbrother, but I didn't live with him. So I was alone a lot. And, um, you know, I have a few horror stories about that, but generally speaking, I liked it. I watched a lot of TV. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was really, really raised on TV. I learned to cook for myself, good or bad. I hurt myself a couple of times, pretty bad. Um, (laughs) doing that, I never burned the house down. But yeah, I mean, you learn to be self-sufficient in a way that, I mean, my kids, I transitioned to freelance writing. I left my corporate job when my older son was 10 and he was in after-school care prior to that. And he was not as self-sufficient as I was at that age because he has never had to be quite honestly. Right. I I will say that when my kids need to be self-sufficient, they do just fine. But if there is... (laughs) even the smallest chance that my wife or I might do something for them, 
then you know all bets are off. It needs to be done. They're by smart, us. wit. I mean, right. don't we all operate that way? And at the end of the day, I, I'm okay with that. Like I still get up every morning and make my 15 year old's lunch. You know, as a sophomore, my oldest just graduated high school last year. Uh, but I, I wake up every morning, I make his, I make his breakfast, and I pack his lunch. And my wife is of the mind where she says. He is more than capable of doing that himself. Let him do it. He is capable of doing that. He has proven it several times. So knowing that he has that skill set, I, I can feel confident he'll he'll be fine. He has that when he needs it. But in the meantime, this is my small window with him, and I'm going to hold it open as long as I can. That's lovely. You know, I, I want my boys to go into the world knowing that I was always there whenever whenever I could be. Right. So. Right. I was going to say at one point, uh, and then I, I went off on a tangent as I do. You've probably noticed that by now. I never actually had a key to the house. Well, I, at least when, not until I was driving and had a key chain was I given a key to the house. I had a doggy door, and I was tall, and I could reach through the doggy door and unlock the door from the inside. And that was just accepted as the way that I entered the house. Okay, so I love this because in talking to people about their latchkey experiences, I've heard so many stories where people either didn't have a key, they either didn't lock the house, or every single day, the kid had to find a way to break into their own house. And I remember one of my best girlfriends, they never had a key. I would go home with her and her brother sometimes. They never had a key. And it was like, how are we going to break into the house today? And there were these little tricks. And and sometimes you broke in through a, a bathroom window. Sometimes it was like, oh, if you jimmy the back door just right, you can find a way or a doggy door. And so the stories are just hilarious and varied. And it really adds color to the latchkey experience. I climbed through several windows uh, of friends' homes. Like that was just it. Hey, you want to come after over after school? Sure. And then we, we would just stand on their porch and climb through their window and not it even so dangerous. Never even, yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. But that said, it, it was just, it was just a given like, yeah, come home after school, go in the house. Like it never dawned on me to say, how would I get in the house? Uh, you know, go through the doggy door, figure it out, be resourceful wit. I, I, exactly. I told you we lived in the Arizona desert. There was actually one time that we came home uh, in the evening. We'd been uh, off doing whatever and came home and there was a rattlesnake in our house. It had come through the doggy door. Stop. So you, no. And you would think that uh, I'm like, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to finish this story. Damn it. I am the guest. You will listen to this story about the rattlesnake in my kitchen. That has nothing to do with the topic we are talking about. So, <laughs> so there's a rattlesnake in the kitchen. And uh, you would think at that point, my parents might say, oh, maybe you should stop sticking your hand in this doggy door. But no, they just no. Took, they just released it in the desert and <laughs> go to bed. You have school tomorrow. Well, I will say I never had a situation like that when I was home alone. But there was one time I was cooking for myself. I was making myself probably some Chef Boyardee. I was using a can. And, you know, I opened the can and I was trying to get the lid off the can, you know, the cut part. And I was an idiot and I held it by the sharp edges to pull it. And I sliced through my fingers so bad and I was home alone and I just started shaking my hand, right? Shaking my hand. I, it hurt. I'm shaking it. I'm shaking it. Blood is, I mean, these were deep cuts. Blood is spraying all over my kitchen. I can't stop the bleeding. It hurts so bad. I called my friend's. Actually, you guys, for the listener, I called 
Pat, who's been a guest on the show numerous times, and I called Kate, brother and sister. They lived a house away. I called them over. Oh my God, I cut myself. Oh my God. They came over. They walked into the kitchen and they were like, holy shit, the kitchen is covered in blood. Everyone's trying to wrap my hand. Never did go get the stitches. Um, And that happened. And then there was another time. And, you know, because I was home alone that chunk of time, which was significant, I think I had a nine o'clock bedtime. I went to take a shower, which is not super safe. I turned on the tub. You know, it was one of those you have to turn on the tub and then you pull it for the shower to come out. I'm turning the knob on the tub and the knob to the shower breaks off and I had it plugged and I couldn't turn it off. And the tub is filling with water and filling with water and filling with water. I had to call Kate and Pat's mom to come. She couldn't turn it off. She had to turn off the main water to the house. So it's like stuff happens, like stuff can and does. You could have a rattlesnake. In your house, you could cut yourself really bad or flood your home. It could happen. I also flooded the home one time. Uh, Not not the bathtub though. It was the. Were you home alone? I was home alone. This is after I was old enough to know better. At this point, (laughs) I was driving. My parents divorced when I was sixteen. Okay. And so then I was going back and forth. I was double duty on the latchkey, right? Good times, wit. And my, well, my dad lived in the home that I grew up in. My mom lived in the city. So that was, you know, uh, so I would stay there more often than not. And one of the things that she had that I did not have at the other house was a really fancy dishwasher. And so she asked me to load the dishes on my way out. And I did. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to run this dishwasher for her because I'm a good kid. And I used uh, liquid dish soap from the sink as opposed to dish. There's a difference. There's a big difference. So, and that's how foam parties started (laughs) in my, my mom's kitchen. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) We have you to thank for that. Yes. Yes. God, It was like the raves began in Wit's mom's kitchen. I know. I came home. I was all like, (laughs) what's going on? She walked to the door. She's like, sweet. Yeah, exactly. She had a whistle around her neck and she's <laughs> wearing some, some glow jewelry. <laughs> it, was, it was a good time. It was a yeah, lesson yeah, learned. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. So things like that do happen. You're right. And, and do. you had neighbors that were available to you. Yes. Uh, so I, I did have family around. Like if something like if the shit went down, if you got like attacked by that rattlesnake. Exactly. Exactly. And thankfully my parents were there with me when we came home and found the rattlesnake, uh, especially because it was dark. So we had to turn on the light uh, and then see the rattlesnake. I can't imagine anything more horrifying (laughs) except blood all over a kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, we did have one incident that comes to mind. So the bus stop was right by my house. Okay. We were in the backseat of the bus on the way home and Uh, For whatever reason, we decided that it would be funny to uh, flip off, give the bird, flick off, whatever your regional uh, (laughs) version of showing the middle finger is to somebody behind us because, and why not, right? It's good times. It's fun. That person did not think it was good times. And so they followed the bus to the next stop, which happened to be my stop. Oh, shit. And so we get off the bus and... We have this very uh, angry person in a, in a vehicle yelling at us. And, and there's maybe four or five of us uh, at my house. And so we run from the bus stop <laughs> and we're, we run, we all run into my house. 
you know, after I say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me open it with the doggy door, <laughs> open the door. We all go in and this person is banging on our door, cussing Stop, at they us, followed you threatening home. us. Oh yeah. And no. so one of my friends called her dad who is a mechanic and he owned a shop probably two miles away. But as I said before, this was a uh, farming community, right? So imagine standing like on a, the corner of a quilt and being able to see multiple squares as they fan out into the horizon, right? Yes. And they're all kind of stitched together by dirt roads. Right. She calls her dad and in the distance, you just see this cloud of dust and it just gets bigger and bigger. And here he comes like a bat out of hell on this old beat up truck flying through the, it was amazing. I remember like looking through the window. <laughs> He's coming. And trying to decide like, bus. yeah, is he going to get here before this stranger kills us or whatever this stranger's I, and what is their intention? Like banging they on the door of a bunch kids. of kids. Yes. I think they themselves were, were younger. I think they were probably like an early twenties, but man, uh, that dust just got bigger and bigger. And here comes this truck around the corner, like back wheels going the other direction. Crazy. Like Dukes of hazard corners. And, and, uh, and when he got out of the truck, was he like wielding some sort of big mechanic tool? Cause I feel he, like he, he was, was wielding this aura of like, and cause I remember like, it was like a, a superhero landing or something. Like it was just like, you just stopped and you're like, Oh shit. You know, if you're that person and wow. he just yelled at the person, but he laid into him and we're all watching through the window. Right. <laughs> it almost feels like something out of a movie when I think about it. Right. Like uh, how impactful it was on us. And that's, I never did it again or none of us ever flipped anyone off. We, we went strictly to mooning at that point. <laughs> I know times like my sister and I got in fights, which probably went further than they should have. Like I, I recall my sister uh, grabbing a very dull butter knife and chasing me around the house right. at one point, but which probably would not have happened. Had a Sounds parent pretty home. standard for siblings. Yeah, stuff, I think actually. so. I think so. You know, and when a parent isn't there, that stuff escalates in a way that it never would at home. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I and mean, probably a spoon, I suppose, right. if the parents are home. So the latchkey kid experience began its trajectory in maybe the mid seventies through the eighties. But by the end of the eighties, I found a study, um, a 1989 study on the U S department of justice website that said as many as 10 million Americans. Now keep in mind in 1982, they estimated two to 3 million. Now they're saying 10 million American children care for themselves before or after school. And they said many latchkey kids begin their self-care responsibilities at about eight years of age. So that's pretty standard. Did your kids stay home alone after school? So I have had the luxury of working remotely since my kids were very young. Nice. There have certainly been times where we, we have left them alone. Right. Um, starting probably about eight-ish for the oldest. Mm -hmm. But that was for an hour while we went to Target not them coming home on their own necessarily. Right. Talking to other parents here locally about their kids walking to school and how they don't let them. It became very clear that people were parenting differently than we were. Like we have a lot of hiking trails close to where we live now. And one day on one of these hiking trails, uh, we discovered someone had made a, a rope swing on an oak tree and this probably is is not environmentally sound, but uh, you know, back in the day, we'd make forts and trees with sure. you know, boards and nails and whatever. So I was telling my boys that they thought that was great. So they'd come home from school 
and they would just go in the garage and get a hammer and some nails and some wood and leave to go build themselves a fort on this hiking trail. And it's not far. It's not even a quarter of a mile maybe, mm-hmm. but, but I told other parents this and they could not believe it that we were letting them go off unsupervised with into the tools. wild with My tools. God. People attach this idea of latchkey kids as being unparented. Neglected. Certainly. I mean, if you had a, maybe a bad personal experience as a latchkey kid or Mm -hmm. felt unsupported or neglected, I think the natural inclination when you become a parent is to parent the other way. And a lot of time that seems really extreme. And that's what we've been seeing uh, amongst a lot of our peers is that that's where this whole helicopter parenting thing Absolutely. came from is people overcorrecting for, for their own experiences. Yep. And I think a lot of that has to do with also some of the, the fear mongering that goes into that. I mean, statistically we're safer than we've ever been, but you would not know that based upon your news cycle. It's terrifying. Yeah. And from what I was reading, people were saying like, yeah, tragedies happened with kids. I mean, this is what gave rise to the whole stranger danger and children on milk cartons and, you know, this whole thing, missing children and satanic panic and all the things that happened in the 1980s. What they didn't have, though, was the constant news cycle of all the tragedy and terrible things that are happening to children. You could deduce that this was happening a lot. It could scare a parent. And so you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, I can't leave my child home alone for five minutes. Like it's a wonder any of us don't struggle with anxiety. I do struggle with anxiety. I do too. So that's, I don't know if we're a good. I know. (laughs) And like, we'll talk about the studies that say, hey, latchkey kids struggle with anxiety, but this constant news cycle and all the media and all the negative stories that we hear so much about that are so salacious involving children, we think oh my God, like our our children are unsafe. Our environment is more dangerous than it's ever been when Mm -hmm. maybe it's not true. And I think it fills in some holes for people when they start thinking about their own childhood and things that could have happened. And so they start thinking like, uh, well, I'm I'm not going to put my kids in that situation. It's funny because Gen X has, we have that, but we're also laid back and cynical and it's like. And almost proud. Yeah, very much so. But those things don't necessarily go together, uh, at least the overparenting and the laid back. Yeah, it's, it's a real contradiction. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very much so. Well, in 1982, People Magazine ran this really infamous headline that read, The Lonely Life of Latchkey Children, Say Two Experts, is a National Disgrace. Okay, so now the parent shaming begins, okay? So in it, these two education researchers, their names were Tom and Lynette Long, They suggested that latchkey kids face real perils, that was their word, as a result of being left alone. They were talking about stuff like break-ins, you know, uh, injuries from a fall, weather-related emergencies. They found out of the 300 latchkey kids they interviewed, one-third reported high levels of fear when their parents returned home late from work. And these fears actually triggered nightmares fear of noises, fear of the dark, increased concern for personal safety, fear of fires and intruders. And I read that and it's like, I wanted to shit all over this because I hate the headline and I hate the parent shaming. I hate it all. And I don't want my parents to feel like bad parents, but I will tell you when my mom was even five minutes late, I would freak the fuck out. Like it was 
really scary to me because it was dark by that time. My mind would just automatically race to the worst possible conclusion. Oh my God, she got in a car accident. Oh my God, what would I do if something happened to my mom? Oh my God. I was so scared. And I started to really develop sort of a fear of nighttime when I was a kid. And it was weird. I had trouble sleeping, but like I used to really be afraid of people breaking into the house. I used to check the locks almost obsessively. Like it was a thing. And so I read the study. I wanted to hate it, but I was sort of like, it kind of applied to me. But I, I think these two researchers, a year later, they published the handbook for latchkey children and their parents. And it garnered all this national attention because they said that latchkey kids were more lonely and fearful and showed more signs of emotional conflict and stress than other children. So I don't know. Did I have more emotional distress than other children? Maybe, maybe not. It certainly sounds like there's some uh, peril clutching going on there. See what I did there? I did. I like, like the pearl clutching. Thank Go you. With it. But you're right. It's probably true. I, I Whenever I see things like that to this day, I always feel like people are taking advantage of the situation and playing to people's fears, right? Because I, I guess I just summed up Facebook's business model. And it's like, <laughs> that's, it feels really clickbaity too. Right. The, the study group is what's interesting to me. Like, I, I'd like to see exactly how that broke down because if it was so prevalent, that Venn diagram of their life experience in terms of like, being left home alone for X period of time. I'm sure they did all the studies and obviously they're the experts and I'm just a dipshit talking about it 30 years later, 40 years later. What's the math on that? Holy crap. 82. That <laughs> was a long time ago. Wait. Yeah. Kudos to people magazine for still being strong <laughs> since 1982. They've lasted. Well, yeah. I mean, in their study, in their 1982 study, they found that one in three kids that were latchkey came from low income inner city schools. Mm-hmm. Whereas in suburban schools with higher family incomes, it was only one in nine. That was their study. There were studies later, according to the New York times, they reported in 1998 that studies that have happened since haven't been able to show major differences between latchkey kids and others. So, you know, their study in the early eighties pointed to that, but later studies weren't able to find really big differences. It, it almost feels, and I'm saying this 100% of uh, this is my own personal bias, I guess, because I, I have nothing to base this on. It, it feels like they found the results that they were looking for. Oh yeah, I would agree too. And I think it helped them, you know, sell books. They exactly. can book for, for latchkey children and, and their parents. It's like, Ooh, a guidebook, give me answers. I don't think any parent faced with putting their kid in a latchkey situation it's something they wanted to do. I think it's something that happens out of necessity. And I hate this idea that we shame parents for making those choices at that time. I'm sure if parents had alternatives, if they had other choices, if more after school programs were available, they would have used those resources, but they weren't. And so you do what you have to do. I, I don't think this is a deliberate choice. I don't know that right. this is ever anything that anybody wanted. Although being home alone totally rocked. It was nice to have time alone. You know, you're at uh-huh. school all day with a teacher that's telling you what to do. You're interfacing with your friends and classmates. You come home, it's like, ah, oh, downtime. I still right. want that. When I come home and my family's here, I'm like, 
what I wouldn't give for like 20 minutes to myself. Like I'm very used to that. I like that. I like being alone. I have no problem being alone. Uh, And a lot of people aren't comfortable being alone. Yeah. I also enjoy being alone. And is that something uh, that speaks to this? I, I, I don't know. It might very well be. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, the, all the studies, though. To your point, uh, I, I saw other studies because I did a little research too. Lori, I love it. That said, most latchkey kids were from middle class families, mm-hmm. right? So it's a lot of information that is contradictory. Gosh, my my tongue is thick. Apparently, well, I don't know how to uh, read today, so you know, <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say. Uh, but a lot of information that, that contradicts over the last 30 years, how many times have eggs been good or bad? It's like, uh, the, the stu- <laughs> like studies are always contradicting each other. And who's funding the study that has a big right. thing to do with it too. Right. Yeah. It was big key. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you know, okay. So in 1999, another researcher, Deborah Bell, she's a psychology professor at Boston university. She detailed her findings from a four-year longitudinal study where she followed 43 families from different socioeconomic levels. And what she found was some of the families, it's like what we said, they had the kind of community or neighborhood or financial and social resources to make sure that this was really not a big deal. But a lot of families don't. What she said was, you know, the range of experience varies so greatly because some kids actually thrive home alone. She said, what our research demonstrated was the tremendous variety of experiences that children had. While some kids suffer terribly and tragedies occur because they can't be with their parents after school, we shouldn't be stigmatizing all kids or all families whose kids are unsupervised because sometimes it's the best choice for that child. 100%. Right. That seems to be what you and I came into this. Yeah. uh, We didn't even need to conduct a four-year longitudinal study. Exactly. I don't even, I don't even know 43 families. (laughs) That makes sense to me. Like that resonates more with my personal experience. Yes. Uh, again, not to discredit anyone else's uh, experience, and, and as she points out, also, it's certainly some negative things out there. And people had, yes, I, I understand that that is the case. But from my own experience, uh, I think it was formative. I think it helped make us who we are, right? For for better or worse, just like any experience, I suppose. But something like that, that where there's uh, heavy repetition. And it becomes a core part of your experience. It made me, uh, and this goes to what we were saying earlier about my boys not necessarily being as self-sufficient, like out of the box. Right. But they don't they don't have to be. I had to be. So it's a good skill to have. But even then, like the, the minute my parents came home, I wasn't like making dinner. I was, what's for dinner? You know, right. Like, you just got home from work. What are you gonna make me for dinner? I've been here. Maybe you defrosted the chicken for your mom. Right. They would call and say, put something on the counter. Right. And, and defrost. Uh, I remember I tried to make tacos for my sister and I uh, went one evening. I'm not sure why we were home late enough that I needed to make dinner, but I was young enough that I didn't really understand like how to brown meat. Okay. And so I wound up scrambling eggs and putting chocolate in it to make it look like meat because I thought that wow. that was like- uh, I only remember this because it was, as you might imagine, god awful. Okay, so there weren't rules at your house like don't use the stove. I think there were, and I think that's why. I think that's why, like in this case, like that was the only concept I had of cooking was like eggs. But I, I know, like when the food winds up on our table, it's not 
it's meat, right? Like, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know how to like defrost it and how to do all that stuff. And I, I think it was just a situation where my parents said, you guys need to eat something. We're going to be later than we thought. And rather than having another can of Vienna sausages or, you know, throwing a can of uh, Chef Boyardee in the microwave, I decided to step up and prepare a meal. And be the chef you were always meant to be. Ex- exactly. Um, and that just did not go well. I don't know that I cooked again for a very long time after that, to be honest with you. It was, it was scarring. Wow. I mean, I know that in some families there were rules about that. Like mm-hmm. you can't use the stove or the oven. You can't play outside when you're home alone. Don't take showers, things like that, you know, in terms of just keeping kids safer. I mean, the, the danger is there. The real perils are there, but it's a decision made by necessity. You hope that you have resources available to you and and neighbors and those things that could support you. But they did find that any negative effects of the latchkey experience could really be countered by parents that are actually really available by phone. So if you have a parent that worked the kind of job that could not check in with you, or who did not have access to a phone and you were actually alone without the ability to contact your parents if you needed to, that lent itself to a lot more anxiety for kids than, you know, kids that were having like a daily check-in with their parents. Sure. Yeah. I called my parents. Uh, so as I said, my dad was a mail carrier. So at some point he would leave the post office and be unreachable for hours. Wow. But my mom was reachable. And I knew every switchboard operator at the company, you know, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. I had had like relationships with these strangers who answered the phone at the company and school is good today, Elaine. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Very, very much so. Exactly. Uh, But I called my parents all the time and to the point where I, I certainly remember conversations where my parents were busy at work and it wasn't a good time to call and they, they would be like, what? What do you need? Why are you calling? I'm like, oh, nothing. Got home safely. No rattlesnakes in the house today. Exactly. I would call my mom more than my dad because if I call my dad and say, oh, nothing, he's going to be like, well, you know, the lawn needs mowed. And, <laughs> right. you know, he I, didn't want to open that door to chores. No, I, I avoided it. Uh, my dad, he did not mess around with chores. Like during the summer, for instance. And it, so we're talking about after school, but during the summer, we were home all day long by all ourselves. All day, Yes. Can I say, I'll uh, plug my book from like forever ago. Please. Yes. I do want to talk about your book, the parents phrase book. Yes. In it, I talk about chores a bit, but just in general, like I remember my dad reading it and after he read it, he looked at me and said, is this about me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and okay. Yeah. So what was your answer to that? I was like, yeah, of course it was. Okay. Like, uh, uh, my, my dad is a, a very sincere, genuine, loving man. But I, we we're growing up in a time where that wasn't always something that it was okay to show, uh-huh. right? So couple that with this list of things to do in the Arizona sun all the time. And I kind of grew up thinking like, man, my dad's trying to kill me. And I'm like, oh, you're like right, working, right. Working this. Uh, and it's not until you get older and I start to realize more and I go and you kind of unpack it. And, and he was very hands-on and very loving. But at some point, because of the error and the time and, and all that goes with it. Not that everybody did this, but at some point, like hugs become handshakes. Right. And it's like, a, right. and that's something that I've worked really hard to like, first of all, I, my 18 year old, I dropped him off at work this morning and hugged him and kissed him in front of all of his coworkers, you know, and he actually, he reached in for the hug. Right. It's like, that's, that's something oh. that like, 
I don't want that to happen. I don't want that, that lull in that relationship. Right. Like, yeah. Cause now I see my dad and I, we hug, say, I love you, but there was a good period where that, where the hell am I going with this? By the way, I don't know what, I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. I really do. I love your book because it's like the closest thing to like a, an empathetic and kind sort of parenting manual that you don't really see. I mean, it's, it's really truly centered around love. And I, I think that's really beautiful Whit. what inspired you to write it. First of all, thank you very much. I'm proud of it, but I didn't promote it like to the extent that it, I should have. And so the fact that you've actually even read it is amazing to me. It's, it's, it's I, a I love beautiful that. book. I really do recommend it. I've actually purchased it for a few parents that I know. It's very kind of you. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly how I wrote it was the few promotional stops that I made. People always want to introduce the author of a parenting book as a parenting expert. And I'm like, do not call me that. That is like such a ridiculous thing to, <laughs> to call someone. I think any parent worth their salt will be the first to be like, I'm not an expert, but quit. I mean, you have, you have written for so many like big and important outlets. Like you have written for good housekeeping, Huffington post, you know, the Washington post that your stuff is on the Washington post on parenting all the time. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't make <laughs> you an expert. I, I don't think that makes me an expert. I mean, the Atlantic. I feel like I'm an expert in parenting. Like I'm also an expert in walking to the mailbox. I mean, just cause I do it every day. Doesn't mean <laughs> and maybe there's a better route. Should I cut across the grass? Should I stay on the sidewalk? Well, if you're not an expert, who is an expert? I don't know that anyone is. I guess what, what turns me off about it is a lot of times I'd be on panels with uh, people who really leaned into that as their title, like they're a parenting expert. Right. And they would have a bunch of letters after their names uh, because they've done a lot of studies and, and you know, all that's fantastic. I, I'm a big fan of education. Don't get me wrong, but they didn't have kids. And I was like, mm. it's such a weird thing. That's like being an expert on swimming, but you've only been in a bathtub. You know, it's like... <laughs> So I think that's where I started to be kind of embarrassed by someone suggesting that I was an expert. And also, and this is why I brought this up, because the book is set up in such a way that it gives situations that kids may encounter and then different ways to respond, uh, ways that are, are negative and ways that are more positive. Right. And more often than not, I did the negative. That's why I have the luxury of saying, oh, you know, in hindsight, this is the positive thing that, that I probably should have done. I didn't want people to think that I was this pretentious, uh, well, this is the way I did it. And that's the right way to do it. You know, it's like, no, I made that mistake. And so uh, don't do that. I actually think one of the most beautiful parts about the book is I think for a lot of parents, sometimes we just don't really have the right words or don't know how to phrase things in a way that will really be heard by our children. Mm -hmm. And so with so much kindness and heart. It really does sort of offer a script to parents for these like everyday situations that kids encounter. The parents phrase book is a really nice sort of map to gain some confidence before you try to address these issues and to really see some positive change. I, I appreciate that. And that, that was certainly my intent is that it's something to help people prompt conversation. This is This isn't necessarily the answer, but it's to get you thinking along those lines. And, and then you have your own conversation because your Absolutely. kid is different. Your, your kid is not my kid. They're not going to respond the same way. Yeah. I don't make my kids lunch. Your kid is not my kid. Exactly. 
<laughs> exactly. But and if your kid feels neglected, uh, they're welcome to come over for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I wasn't a latchkey, but my parent did not make me lunch every day. My Lord. People always tell me, people don't always tell me this. People told me then when I was asking the questions People told about you it, one time? Yes. Somebody like yelled it out of a window as they're passing me. <laughs> <laughs> because you flipped them off from the back of the school bus? Exactly. Uh, I have heard people say that they have difficulty communicating with their kids because they don't understand them. And that was something that I really thought about when I was writing that, because we all spoke kid at one point. And for some reason, as people age and and deal with life, they lose that part of themselves. And so it's not like you don't have to be taught to communicate with your kid. You have to remember how to communicate. Mm. Right. And that was mm-hmm. what I was going for there was really connecting at that point, as opposed to, well, now you have a four-year-old and this is what's happening in that stage. And this is what you need to do. It's like, come on, man, you were a kid once. Think about it. <laughs> what were you like in those situations? What would you have done? You know, I, I think that so often we're too busy trying to be like the, uh, and of course this is going to sound awful because we certainly need to be authority figures, but we're, we're so wrapped up in this authority figure approach and not empathizing with the child side of it. Right. And that's, that's where I was going with all that. And now I, I it sounded much better in my head before I started speaking. So no, I, I actually think that that's really important. And I think that we can circle that back to the latchkey experience because the research had proved that any sort of negative impact of the latchkey experience could really be offset by feeling as though a parent was available to them. So when right. you talk about remembering how to speak kid, the real lesson there in the latchkey environment is what does a kid who's home alone every day need? What do they need to feel Mm -hmm. secure and safe in their environment? What can we do for our kids to make this time maybe even positive and valuable? Maybe we don't have to look at it from a perspective of neglect. Maybe we can look at it Mm -hmm. from a perspective of opportunity. So learning how to speak kid with the parents phrase book and actually maybe even having a conversation with your kid, like, Hey, this is the situation. You know, mom now has a job or dad who used to work at home now has to go into an office. Let's talk about what that's going to look like and how that feels good to you. And that's what the parent phrase book offers though. It's getting in that mindset of how to remember you call it remember. And I think that that's really true. I said earlier that it offered a script, but it really is just sort of getting in the mental state of being able to relate to your kid in a way that makes sense to them. Thank you. That was very nice of you to say. Yeah. Are you asked uh, how it is that I thought to write that book? Yes. To be 100% honest, I was actually approached by the publisher. And I think it was because this was early days of, and I've used that phrase a couple of times now. And I, I never say that early days. You ever like just start saying something as a phrase out of the blue <laughs> right. and you realize you're like said known it. as wit early days, honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I was, I was writing uh, because I kind of turned to blogging in its uh, relative infancy, writing about my kids because I lived in a different state than my family at that point. 
Facebook wasn't a thing and my parents weren't on MySpace. So, uh, oh, you MySpace. Know, I know I, Tom loved everything I shared about oh my kids. Oh my God, Tom was the best. He's a good friend. Tom's yeah. a good friend. So I started blogging and right about that time, things like Baby Center and Babbel and The Stir and I'm forgetting all kinds of stuff, but all these things started popping up and, yep. and some, some of them really took off. And I had mentioned that I was tending bar. You know, I had a, I had a two-year-old, I was tending bar and I started to get offers to write for these different sites. And at one point I, I had to write a shit ton of stuff to make it work because the pay was awful, but the volume was such that I got to the point where I, it was comparable to what I was making as a bartender. I was writing for 16 hours a day instead of serving drinks for six. Right. But I was home and I had that. The, yep. Exactly. And so I, I made that transition, but I, I was in the right place at the right time in terms of kind of being one of the few dad voices that had that opportunity. And so as, as that built up and, and as you said, I, I continue to write for some of those sites. And I think the reason I'm able to get back into it recently, you mentioned the the Atlantic, which that was such an awesome experience, by the way. Like uh, I got to voice an animated version of myself down to like my fancy red pants. It was, so it was incredible. But that and the things I've done at the Washington Post since it is about parenting, but it's more, it's not about my kids so much as it is modern masculinity, gender roles, raising boys in, in that environment to be, to be better. Mm-hmm. And it's all based on the premise that, you know, I'm a straight cisgender, able-bodied, middle-class, middle-aged white man in America, and I'm raising two more. Right. So it's that angle. It's not, my kid doesn't believe in the tooth fairy, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Although every time you say that latchkey life, I think I need to get that tattoo on my chest. I like it like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. You do that with early days, Honey. You get that <laughs> tattooed on your chest, send me a pic, and we will put it on Instagram in promotion of this episode. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. That I can offer you. Do I have time to do like 10,000 push-ups first? You actually do. <laughs> so there were later studies that showed that kids who were more inclined to engage in risky behavior were going to do it, whether or not they were latchkey kids or not. It really came down to the kind of kid that you were, whether you were just more maybe curious or more adventurous, willing to try more things. Those kids are going to find themselves in some situations, whether or not they were latchkey. It's not necessarily that latchkey kids are the ones who are engaging in more dangerous behavior. I agree with that 100%. I I suppose the only uh, difference would be when you are latchkey, those opportunities are more readily available. Absolutely. I mean, I asked the Gen X audience, you know, tell me your stories. And somebody said like, my parents were never, ever home. Every party after school was at my house. Like, wow. yeah, I mean, it would be right. Exactly. So I was thinking about this the other day. This totally ties into this. Uh, I used to go out every Friday night, every Saturday night with my friends and we didn't have a destination we were at desert parties, you know, like drinking in the desert or cruising up and down, whatever, hanging out in the bowling alley in the pizza place that everybody cruised back and forth between. And my parents never like, I, I might've said, oh, we're going to a movie that we never went to, you know, but that wasn't like, <laughs> here, here comes the, uh, you know, my friend had this crazy old suburban and he 
come pulling up and six or seven friends in it. And, uh, I'd get in my parents, like be back by midnight and, and off I go, you know? And it's like, that doesn't feel like it exists now. Like my kids don't go places without having a reason to go there. And, uh, I like a plan makes me feel better as a parent. Yes. And, you know, I, I have tracking apps on my kids too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, when we were young, pagers were the thing. I didn't want a pager. I fought it. Everyone wanted a pager. I was like, no, my parents will bug me all the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't want it. I was used to that sort of autonomy. I was used to make my own decisions. And I felt like I had agency over myself, maybe even more than I really did. Mm-hmm. But I think that had a lot to do with my latchkey experience. It's like, I don't need your supervision. I was right. under 18. I probably should have maybe had it, but right. I am so much more hands-on with my kids and I don't want to be a helicopter mom. I think a lot of the helicopter momming that I do is rooted in anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's like we talked about earlier. You just kind of tend to swing the other way, depending on what your life experience is and whatever mental health issue you, you, you find yourself struggling with. Yeah, very much so. And I guess that was my point with that is that to tie it into the earlier thing, um, I I was finding opportunities for deviant behavior outside of the three hours that I was home alone. Right. Like that didn't need to happen for you between three and 6 PM. Yeah. I wasn't experimenting with things during those hours. Right. Right. Come Friday night, uh, we're going to stand outside the grocery store until some poor sap gets suckered into binus wine coolers, right? Mm-hmm. That's a whole, wow. That's uh, our that, next that's... episode. <laughs> exactly. Underage drinking. Yes. Yeah. Well, I did a deep dive on Reddit and mm-hmm. I found someone, the title of their post was grew up as a latchkey kid. It messed me up. AMA. So ask me anything. So this person's experience reads like this. I grew up as a latchkey kid. I spent most of my school days coming to an empty home from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. He said, my family was low income, so babysitting was out of the question, and we had no family around to take care of me. My parents would typically drop me off at school, go to work until 8 p.m., make sure I went to sleep at a reasonable hour, and that was it. I'd spend the majority of my time with them on the weekends. This went on since I was in second grade. As a kid, I always came home to the TV, ate whatever was in the fridge, spent five to 10 minutes on homework and went to bed. I look and feel plenty normal now, but I assure you there are areas within my personality, which got effed up due to my childhood. A couple of quick examples, introverted. When I come home from work, I have to have the TV on and a lack of motivation growing up. Okay. The reactions to this were really, really interesting. Somebody said, I too was a latchkey kid in the eighties. I have an awkward relationship with my parents and that they don't feel like my parents. That's heavy. I can kind of understand that. Like if you had, and this was not my experience, but if you were alone so much of your childhood and maybe even on the weekends, you weren't spending time with your parents, they wouldn't necessarily feel like parents. They weren't around giving you lists of chores and telling you to do labor in the Arizona sun. Right. Yeah. Some tough love. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else said summers for me were the worst. I could go to the community pool for a couple of hours, but then I had the rest of the day. It sucked. I preferred being at school. At least I had somewhere to go. I get it. Uh, Someone else said I was a latchkey kid. That time alone from them was awesome. 
Right. <laughs> I kind of see that. It's interesting because even the original poster's description of the effects that they feel like they attribute really to Latchkey. Yeah. Is it fair to say that that's the, the, the thing? Like they mentioned that I that they're normal and feel normal. What the hell's normal? You know, and yeah. some, some, some of the things they listed as the negative things. Like I'm introverted. Okay. Yeah, so I would same. put those. Exactly. I would put those under the normal. And yeah. I can only compare it to my own experience and my own life. My kids who were, are not latchkey kids. One of them is incredibly introverted. One of them is incredibly social and they were raised the same way together. Same environment, same, same parents. environment with me, uh, readily available. And, and I, I know I've mentioned my wife in this, she's incredibly present and available as well, but she's not a guest. So she can talk about herself on her own, uh, <laughs> episode. but I don't, I don't want to imply that this is just me doing this heavy lifting. I mean, she's uh, certainly a part of this whole thing and we're of very course. fortunate to, to, to have that partnership, but it, when someone starts saying, well, I'm this way because I was a latchkey kid. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe you're that way because you had a cat. I don't know. I and mean, what, what is it? I don't, I don't it, it's a weird thing to specify. Right. Uh, another commenter said, listen, I became very independent and luckily given my personality and quote fate, I am doing really well in college right now. And I have my own apartment. I have a little brother now whom my parents are complete helicopters around and I can't help but see him as a baby. He's so dependent. Yeah. It just feels so circumstantial. And I feel like I'm making light of these experiences that people had, and that's not my intent at all. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, it's, and if that's what they attribute it to, then sure, that's, that's fair. Right. But it's, it's just so interesting. How many times have you heard stories about highly successful people who say I'm a success because my parents were very present and they pushed me and they inspired me. And now I'm this way. And you also hear very successful people that say they are this way because they did not have that. And so they were, they were forced to like overcome it. So I, I feel like we kind of get to what we feel is the result. And then we look back and go, and then we start figuring out what it was. And I go, and I don't know. Maybe and we create our own narrative too, right? right like it's, so. Thank you for articulating that much better than I was. Well, <laughs> no, but I, I think we do that. Like we have stories we tell ourselves, right? We, we mm-hmm. come to our conclusions and we, and we piece together our history in a way that makes sense to us. Yes. It's the truth. It's the truth for, for you. It's your truth. So what I'm saying, what you're saying about, about this, where we, we may sound a little cynical, Gen X. <laughs> Hashtag Gen X is, is just that, that that is what they're sharing is, is 100% true for them, but I don't know that it's fair to turn around and say, uh, I was a latchkey kid and I messed up. Therefore latchkey kids are messed up. Right. right. And that's, and maybe that's not what that uh, poster is saying. And I don't mean to put words in there fingers, I guess, in their hand. Uh, <laughs> well, that was but, from 2009. I doubt they're listening, but you know, I don't know. Maybe know. they are. They heard wit, you know, early days, Honey was on and they were like, <laughs> yes, I'm so there. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, what a draw. What a draw. Absolutely. Who, who's to say? I, who's I don't know. That, and that's not the why we're talking about it though, either. We're not trying to like solve anything. This isn't our study that someone's going to quote, unless no. maybe you want to we could certainly put something. I together. don't have a bunch of letters after my name. I don't think I get to conduct my own. 
uh, study like that. Let's pitch this to People Magazine. (laughs) Okay. In response to that 1982 salacious headline. How funny would that be? Do you think anyone's ever done a response that far out? I don't think so. It was so long ago. That's such a a wild idea that I'm actually kind of in love with it. I think that we should pitch it. (laughs) I think we should pitch it. So what does the law say about this? Mm. Has the law decided, you know, it's okay to be left unsupervised at home after a certain age? You would think this question would be easy to answer. It's actually not. Uh, I did a lot of research and the best thing I could find was a 2018 fact sheet on the childwelfare.gov website. It said only three states currently, currently as of 2018, have laws regarding the minimum age for leaving a child home alone. In Illinois, it's 14. In Maryland, it's eight. In Oregon, it's 10. So if you're trying to look for guidance, it's pretty vague. It's just like they classify neglect basically as failing to provide adequate supervision of a child. I mean, what is adequate supervision? If you're readily available by phone, is that enough? Is that adequate? Especially now that everybody has a phone in their pocket, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like you have to get to the nearest pay phone if something mm-hmm. were to go wrong. I mean, obviously right. not everyone has uh, has that, but it's safe to say that a lot of people do. A lot of people do. It's funny, as you're reading that, I'm thinking of just in the last couple of years, there have been several stories where someone calls Child Protective Services because of kids at the playground at the lo- the neighborhood park by themselves. Yep. It's happened. I read a story about um, some mom that was under this like big old investigation because she let her kids walk home from the park and it was like less than a mile away. And someone saw it and didn't like it and called the cops. And then it just becomes a whole thing. That's that's ridiculous, uh, isn't it? And her children were not little children. Let me be right. very clear. They were, you know, general school age children. It, that That is so baffling to me to see something like that and think that it's wrong. Like a kid, I don't know, 10 years old playing in a playground unsupervised. Right. But I'm kind of wired that way as well. I'd probably look around and see where the parent is. If they were there with another kid, I wouldn't necessarily think that. But if a kid was like by themselves, I might think that. But not not to the point where I'm going to call the police. I would just probably stop and go, why do I find this weird? Uh, (laughs) It's a kid in the playground. Yeah, I mean, I think I would stop and I would check myself too. And I would be like, okay, wait a minute. How old does this kid look? Like, is this kid very, very young? Mm -hmm. Are they alone? Is this kid engaging in really dangerous behavior? Are they hurting anyone? Like, these are the questions, right? right? And then in which case it's like, hi, where's your parent? You know, then you might ask the question. But in the absence of those things, I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. If the child's not endangering themselves or anyone else, I don't I see 10-year-olds walking their dog. Absolutely. It's a chore. Right. Exactly. And I don't go on next door and say, hey, there's a 10-year-old unsupervised on the street. It's like, uh, I I don't understand that process, I suppose, is what I'm saying. So the reason that we're talking about all this, obviously, is because these are kids who are unsupervised and it stands out as like this strange situation. Whereas when we were that age, nobody would think twice. And I used to walk to the, the closest store, which was really far and going by myself and buy candy and then walk back, you know, and, and no one ever said anything other than, Hey, how you doing? How are your parents? You know, that sort of thing. No one said, Hey, are you by yourself? Are you okay? 
Do you need to help me find my missing dog? I have some candy in my van. Exactly. Uh, so it, it's, it is a different mindset and I, I don't know what has led us here. I know we've speculated and I think it, uh, a lot of, of what we've said is, is true. And some of what we said was probably a bold faced lie, <laughs> but <laughs> this is real journalism here. Wit. I don't know what you're talking about, but it is super interesting. Well, and, it's and, not like it's gone away in 2014 right. after school Alliance, which is a nonprofit organization that is focused on after school programs for kids. They reported that there were 11.3 million unsupervised school age kids, which equates to approximately 20% of the U.S. K through 12 population. So that was as of 2014, 20%. So not only has it not gone away, it's increased. It's increased. And now with the pandemic, I mean, maybe those statistics have changed with more people working from home. A lot of businesses aren't even having a return to office now anymore. I think kids might be more supervised than ever. Now the real concern, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but it's this idea of being a digital latchkey kid where you're in the digital space unsupervised Mm -hmm. and the dangers that, you know, can come about from that, which we all know is very true. I think that in terms of kids being connected through digital, uh, whatever that might be, the devices, I think that that makes people feel, uh, to your point earlier about being a phone call away, it's like, it doesn't feel like you're as disconnected as you are because you can reach them by seven different things uh, at any given time. Yes. Right. So I, I can certainly see that play a part, but I think what you're referring to is the unknowns of, of online behavior and like what they might encounter there. And it's the wild west out there. You know that. Oh, 100%. I know that we can't take all the good credit for being latchkey if we don't also take some of the bad credit, but I did like something I found online. There was an article in Forbes titled how Gen X's latchkey kid mentality propels their financial success. This was written by Megan Gorman. She said, What creates momentum for our generation's financial success comes from the latchkey kid experience. We want to be both self-reliant and responsible in the deeper community. From our independent viewpoint, we don't want to be a burden. In the latchkey kid culture of the 1970s, we weren't, and we don't want to start as adults. I love that. I I think that's, that's great. So yeah, let's, let's lean into that. Let's take credit for that. Yeah, I feel like we should. I mean, when you look back on your latchkey experience, what what good do you think it gave you? What positives? That is a good question. I think that it instilled a real sense of creativity in me. But I'm saying all this, this kind of goes to your, your comment a moment ago about taking the good and the bad. Yeah, you take them both and there you have. <laughs> the facts of life. Exactly. The facts of life. So the facts of that last <laughs> kid life <laughs> title change <laughs> timestamp. So is it fair to say this is because of that experience? Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do think it helped my creativity. Yes. I watched a lot of TV and yes, I sat and listened to albums like both sides for hours at a time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. I have a record player now for my vinyl and I, can I get used to how quickly an album side is over? But back then it seemed like an album side was forever, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just like being uh, like elbow deep in that shag rug, listening to like my kiss albums and 
my mind wandering. I think that a lot of what has become like my creative process kind of came from there, right? So I, I think that's certainly it something came I came from time and space to have that experience, right? Right. If someone had been home, I wouldn't have had the luxury of time and space to do that. Right. The the record player was in the living room. So that was, that's a shared space. So I wouldn't have had the opportunity to spend two hours there letting my mind wander. I'm leaning into creativity because that's something that I think is one of my strengths, but I, I think that it's possibly bigger than that, like in terms of just self-awareness and, and kind of, and, and all these things, and this could have happened on a long bus ride. So it's like, you know, it, my circumstance is that it happened at home in a latchkey situation. So it's, right. it's, I don't know that I would have been different had I been in a, in a different situation. But you don't know that you would have not. But you don't different. know. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it, it's easy to say I'm this way because of that, but I don't know, maybe I would have been this way anyway. Where I am in my life now, I feel like I've had to overcome a lot of obstacles to be a better version of myself. And I'm trying to raise my kids. Like they're starting at, at a higher level because they don't have those same, but maybe we need those. Like maybe uh, those obstacles are the reason, you know, like it, they, I wasn't just overcoming them and I'm, they molded me. Right. So I don't know. Then this is uh, much deeper than, than you're probably wanting to. <laughs> to no, go I love it. I love that answer of creativity though, because when I think about, what my latchkey experience gave me, I will say being able to self-entertain, mm -hmm. be happy by myself, learn self-sufficiency at a young age. I feel like all of those are really positive things. I mean, yeah, there were some challenges in there, but challenges are required for any kind of growth. And I feel like that experience was valuable to me. And I think that it allowed me to trust in my kids' abilities at a younger age mm. than maybe I would have had I not had that experience. I, I think that, you know, expecting my kids to be able to cook for themselves and maybe pack their own lunches. I know your kids are capable. That's something yes. that you choose to do out of love, which is lovely. But instilling those kinds of maybe even expectations on my kids from a young age has served them really well. So I think there's good and bad in it. I don't think we can point to it you know, and either way. And again, we said at the top of the show, our experiences were our own and we didn't have maybe some of the real struggles that kids had in their latchkey experience. I mean, on one of these studies, they were talking about how eight-year-old was responsible for their four-year-old sibling and their 18-month-old sibling oh, wow. because both parents worked low wage jobs. They couldn't work the schedule. That's not what anybody wants. And there are kids that really did live that experience, which mm -hmm. is not ideal and certainly not what any parent wants either. So I think if we're trying to look at this from a balanced approach, I think that it did offer a lot of good things for me. I, I agree. I, I feel that that aligns with my own experience, but what's the, the very obvious common theme here is that we're all individuals and you can't label us. You can't. It's like uh, everybody had a different experience. And, and we talked about it as a badge of pride because I think mm -hmm. that in the Gen X mindset, it really is. There's a bad religion song called Latchkey Kids. 
And I feel like that's one of those things that it's like, yeah, I'm Gen X. Yeah, I'm on my own. Yeah, I did it from a young age. Yeah, I forgot middle child, you know, F you, we don't need anybody. I think that that mindset is very prevalent. Uh, I like to lean into it too. But at the end of the day, I think it all just comes down to being a contributor again, rather than someone who is a burden. Right. That's fair. And it's funny, you mentioned bad religion, but you know, people think Gen X and they think Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. Always. Uh, you know, without, without this, with everything we're discussing, we wouldn't have Nirvana. We don't necessarily hear those same arguments. I mean, without World War II, we wouldn't have the Beatles. Without World War II, we wouldn't have the term latchkey kid. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop. I think you just nailed it right there. That's good. Wit, thank you so much for joining me to talk about your Latchkey Kid experience. It was such a pleasure to have you. You know, I just adore you so much. And thank you for waiting for my invitation. It means a lot to me. It meant a lot to me. And I was uh, <laughs> thrilled to be here, Lori. It's, uh, yeah, this is a, lo- a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much. And Gen Xers, we will link to all of Wit's stuff so you can follow him all over the internet. And of course, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And of course, you can find us on the web at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at theuntitledgenxpodcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. I'll just flip them off. Flip them off. (laughs) 